0: Hello and welcome to Dynamics Update. Uh, this is one of those interview po- episodes and with me as usual I have Gustav. Hello Gustav. Hello. And we have a guest. We have Tommy Skauer, senior fast track solution architect at Microsoft and former, rockstar. And
1: former MVP. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks Gustav. And uh, first of all it's an honor to be here with your podcast. I mean I've I've uh, been missing doing podcasts for a while and and um I've I've heard that you already had an episode with my uh former friend and colleague uh not former friends <laughs> we're still friends I think pretty <laughs> etc so
0: thanks guys for having me it's great to have you I, I was I was going to ask you was he your friend until we had him on the podcast and then he was not your friend anymore <laughs> No no
2: we're still good
1: friends
0: <laughs> Yeah that's it's good. that's good yeah. We don't want to cause any any issues here Okay so so uh Please introduce yourself a little more. Sure. So,
1: yeah, um, I'm um, uh, I'm now a, a Microsoft MVP here. Uh, you got my name right. And I've I was working at the partner side for about a decade before joining Microsoft back in 2019. And when I started working with uh, Dynamics, it was Dynamics AX, and it was uh, typically the Dynamics AX 40 2009 version. And um, yeah, I was uh, I became an MVP, Microsoft MVP, back in 2013, and I held that for uh, for f- five years, basically un- until I joined Microsoft. And then I joined Microsoft on uh, uh, on the fast track side of things, so that's been uh, super interesting. And um, since I since joining Microsoft, I've been working with partners and customers and engaging with them, and it's been really fantastic. I think, yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. So you you are uh, from from the technical side then. Yeah,
1: that's my background. I'm I before even looking at dynamics, uh, I was doing development so uh, on the Microsoft stack primarily. Um so did everything from from web development to C# ASP.net and uh, yeah, have that kind of technical background for sure.
0: Yes. So when when you and I started talking about this interview, we we actually bumped into to to that we should be discussing the community because both uh, you and me and Gustav have a lot of interest in in the community and especially the differences between the AX community and the FNO community because I personally think that there has been a big change in how the community takes care of the product, so to speak. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I remember when I started looking at this product back in... Uh, 2009 actually there wasn't a lot of material out there and I think everybody's been with the product for for a long time they've seen the same shift and shift and dynamic and how mm-hmm. the communities is actually exploding in terms of information and, and making things available for us to to find out there it's uh but it's a challenge right because now you it, it's it's basically that you can't see the forest for the trees it's like there's so many so many information, so much information out there, and it could be sometimes hard to find the right information. But yeah, having a burning and a living and thriving community is, I think, is, is super critical. And especially since I, when I was doing web development and and .dot NET development, it was one of the let's say one of the key benefits was was being able to find the information you were looking for just by going out and search for yeah. it.
2: Stack Overflow, but for Dynamics. Yeah, nice. sure.
1: Yeah, uh, but but um. Uh, it also plays nicely into what what I'm doing here at FastTrack and what FastTrack is actually doing because it is so FastTrack for Dynamics 365 uh, as an initiative uh, was originating back in 2017. We were getting customers over to the cloud. I mean, CE is is a more mature cloud product compared to FNO, but there was a need to basically help customers go live into the cloud, and so FastTrack was doing that helping customers succeed, helping partners basically also succeed through that. And over the years, we have been working with partners across the board, internationally across every time zone, right? And then building material for what is good practices, what is potentially pitfalls and, and all of that stuff. And we accumulated all, all this information over the years. And then uh, back in early 2021, 20, we launched something we call Success by Design. Uh, some of your listeners might have heard about it. It's it's basically always been there, uh, but we now framed it as a Success by Design um, mm. methodology. But it's not like it's not an implementation methodology. It's is meant to be um, something that partners can club uh, alongside their existing implementation methodology and provide guidance. I think the next step we're trying to to get at or I should say actually the, the North Star, the end the end goal would be that the product itself is just providing guidance along as you use the product. So it tells, tells you if you're doing something out of the ordinary or something that you need to, there's something here that you need to reconsider. But before we can get there, uh, we're looking towards making it possible for you to basically tell us what you're planning to implement in the project and then provide guidance into that context. That would that's the next thing that I really want to land with you, that you can tell me what you plan to implement, and then I'll show you the guidance that we've built from Fast Track and then you can just basically go and absorb it.
2: That's super interesting. I mean, the whole um, connection between the actual business needs and how, because as you say, I mean, uh, I've also been with the product since like 2008, um, AX4, 2009, and... Every uh, the sales pitch back then was pretty much that yeah you can do pretty much what you want it's fully customizable you can build what you want we can adapt to your needs we've had this conversation with, with many before as well I mean on the whole adhering to standard processes etc but from a information perspective um, the community was one part where you were you could find your answer there but you would still have to kind of validate it a lot it was hard to, to um, do quality assurance and just finding information now I mean Microsoft. Um, and the community itself has evolved to a much greater extent. And it's almost, as you say as well, it's almost tipped over the balance because now it becomes hard to find because it's so much information. What information is relevant for me, right? And specifically, as you mentioned as well, the whole, um, I need to understand, uh, usually I could just be an ERP AX expert and I could go pretty far by that. Now in in the new um, ecosphere or what we call it, it's, it's more you need to understand the role of each business application. At the very least, you need to understand what this is system is designed for. An old um, teacher I went to um, for a, uh, education had a very good saying that don't fight the system. Um, like Don't do something that's opposed to how the system is designed to function because then you, you probably end up in a bad place. Um, and that doesn't mean customization necessarily, but it means understanding how it's meant to be mm. used. Uh, it's not a good idea to build a custom API towards OData for thousands and thousands of transactions because there are like limitations in place. So the architecture kind of guides you not to do this. Uh, but unless you have a clear documentation and understanding of the architecture or like someone to help you along the way, uh, not all large-scale projects uh, or not all small-scale projects um have the assistance of uh, Fast Track, for instance. But the more you guys can can put this into writing and make it easily understandable, I think that's a very good good step forward, um, making it easier to find or absorb. Yeah, I think adjust. that
1: that's a really good point, there, Gustav. Because um, that's another thing we also want to achieve with Success by Design is that we want to touch more projects. You're absolutely right. There's a ton of projects mm-hmm. that we're not going to be able to touch because we don't have the the, the headcount, we don't have the manpower, and quite frankly should we shouldn't necessarily i mean there's uh, a ton of partners out there by now who has implemented two, two digit numbers uh, successful implementations and they should be in a really good position to be proficient and be able to repeat rinse and repeat good patterns uh, across the board obviously yeah. i think we're all uh, kind of doing a catch-up all the time trying to catch up on the knowledge and what's the latest what's the greatest what's the the best pattern the best solution and especially when we think about how how fast and quickly we innovate on the product, uh, it could be difficult. Yeah. But a lot of the, the the basic stuff should be in place for most partners by now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, that's a, it's a moving target in some cases. It's hard to know. I mean, coming at it from like a product implementation perspective, you have a quite tight deadline uh, most often. So you need to know, OK, what features can I most likely use? And then uh, if I know something is coming, maybe somewhere ahead, it's not GA yet, yet, okay, I'll have to adhere to that. So again, I think that's like laying that uh, playing field so it's clear. We have this feature here. You won't get it now. You will get it over then, by then. At least then you know and you can adapt around it. I think that must be the um, one of the more challenging areas for you guys to to adhere to, right? I mean, when do we release uh, which information in order not to to uh, disrupt
0: things too much, right? It's a, it's a moving
2: target yeah. for many people.
0: Yeah, and, and that was one of the things that I actually... Thought when when we started working with with Fast Track, I think that was one actually one of the first projects that I was involved in, and and it was around like uh, 2017 when you started, was that in many cases there were you you, you brought the structure, but, but it was hard to get someone to answer how is this supposed to work, mm. because the the problem is that if you call support, their job is not to tell you how it's supposed to work. It's to tell you what is wrong and how to fix it, yeah. but that's not that doesn't give you guidance on how are you supposed to do this. So a lot of things was trial and error. You built it a certain way, and then it didn't work. And then in some cases, it did work, but then uh, when you went live, it didn't work anymore. So then Fast Track told you that no, you you weren't supposed to do that. Mm. But you said before that it was okay. So but and that's also what I think is uh, interesting because. A lot of, as you said, a lot of the partners have have multiple implementations now, and also uh, also fast track has multiple implementations. Which means that you have learned from all of those implementations as well. I mean, uh, figuring out how uh, OData is is affecting the performance of a of a live system is probably nothing that you do without testing it. Mm, yeah, that's because that one my my examples was that when the Product came out. It was uh, totally okay to integrate with odata Data. That was the the way to do it. But then we figured out along the way that okay, so if we do a lot of integrations through odata Data, that's probably not a good thing because then it, things will not be as quick. Yeah,
1: as I think, I think it's uh, fair to say that to your point that Fasttrack has learned a few things along the way, and uh, so some of the some of the good patterns and best practices. Um, has been a learning lesson, even learning lesson even for Fast Track, uh, at least early days. I would say. I think that's that's perfectly fair. And and to your very specific example about OData, it's something that also uh, I'm observing, obviously, uh, with with partners, is that they they might have been successful doing OData integrations with FNO in the past, and now they're getting burned by this uh, re-implementing that successful pattern. Whereas we now have made some changes to the underlying infra yep. uh, and yeah, and that 's one nice. of the key things that also is a significant change from how things were on prem to the cloud and I think that's a super critical point to get just getting uh, being able to successfully implement in the cloud is that you need to mm. um the workloads differently back on mm-hmm. on prem you would be good by deploying a super strong aOS mm-hmm. with yeah, uh,
0: exactly.
1: Tons of gig, RAM Small and RAM course. yeah. More memory,
0: yeah. You could always throw money at the problem. That's the yeah. thing. You, yeah. c- you can't throw money at the problem anymore. You might be able to negotiate with, with Microsoft a bit, but you shouldn't count on it. You should count on making things work correctly instead.
1: Yeah, the, every every typical process in the cloud is, is scaled to uh, be as efficient as possible and be... Uh, let's let's say not use uh, a lot of capacity and be be done with the task quickly. Uh, so every every time there's any t- term of of scaling, it always goes uh, horizontally and usually not vertically. Mm-hmm. So instead of building or dropping these uh, gigantic AOSs into the mix, you get let's say smaller AOSs with a more reasonably sized AOSs, and then. Um, then when you think about OData that could swallow memory quickly, you might end up having a situation where actually you need a gigantic AOS to operate. Mm-hmm. And then the question needs to be asked: could could that then be redesigned to not use either not use OData for the big volumes, but use a different pattern that is more suitable for the cloud? I get uh, that it feels awkward to say that OData is not suitable for the cloud, because it should be. Uh so, so th- it's, there's a tension in that thing, um, which I think is, is perfectly valid. But it's also, we have the same kind of interesting uh, philosophic, uh, philosophical challenge with throttling. Because throttling is another of, of those items that um, we've added to, to the system to basically protect it from mm. getting, let's say, getting the AOSs uh, crashed. There's a service protection built in to... Help uh, basically uh, avoid you from uh, so flood, yeah, flooding the AOSs with requests or asking the AOS to run something that takes half an hour or an hour to complete.
2: That's all the logic, I think. In the, the OData, OData has a nice like feature; it's, it can be used for lightweight loads, and I think that's been pretty clear from from Fast Track Integration Team for yeah. quite a while. So I, I don't, I mean, if you build your own custom OData endpoints with a lot of like posting logic you're going to be in trouble. That's that's the whole point. Like pure data mapping, you can always find a technical scenario where data fits in many cases, like quick mass data scenarios. But uh, I think bulk load, as, um, I think one of the transitioning stories we've been seeing or we're going to see, at least is the whole BYOD uh, transitioning to data lake. There are a number of like, again, back to, back to the moving target. So um, as long as you adhere to these like fundamental integration um, pattern decisions, right? Uh, fast, lightweight, there are uh, the only new addition here is really the throttling right the sliding window where where you have a um, fixed amount of api calls Uh, but if you have to like if you if you have to redesign based on those you should probably think about redesigning anyway from a performance perspective i I would say Um, i think i haven't run into a scenario yet where where it's a problem Um, i I understand fully that it it might exist the issue is like more from my perspective is more like okay now we have dataverse even if I don't have CRM and dual right, I still have Dataverse as a very nice like commonly agreed-upon data model, if, if you see it that way, um, because that's another key scenario a lot of um, customers and partners. How do we reduce costs in integration and not end up in custom integration scenarios. And for me, Dataverse is like a central integration gateway mm. here. Uh, so it's more like understanding of, can I offset? Like the Inventory Visibility app is, for instance, is a perfect example of offsetting performance, right? Um, where you you can like leverage on the Microsoft's access to low-level replication. You can push out all of those. Um, the on-hand calls are what like, costs a lot of performance nightmares in many systems, uh, specifically the old ones for inventum, Right. Um, so if you can off- offset that to a different application, in this case Dataverse, but it could just as well be mm. anything else, that's a pure example where you can then, you can leverage all data off that one. That's not a problem. Just throw, throw at it as much as you want. Uh, we're not disrupting the business because we're doing it that way instead. Um, and I think back to the discussion, like understanding how the system is designed to work. Okay, we have this scenario where we need to have, we have a lot of on-hand questions from a third party POS. Okay. Maybe I don't have access to FastTrack, like a track architect, but I should, at the very least, be able to like Google my question somewhere and get it out, right? And I think if we can get to that point, and if my top Google hit, or Bing, sorry, of course, Bing, <laughs> Bing hit, is um, uh, like reasonable documentation, which at this point, it pretty much is. It points me towards Docs, and Docs gives me a good link where I can understand um, these scenarios. That's I think that's a very good place to be um where we're at right yeah. now and it can always be better of course uh, and uh, it's, it's a good good effort to put in more more information but um, just getting to that point where we have reasonable valid documentation and guidance that's great
1: yeah the commerce section on uh the documentation is is pretty amazing uh from, from what i can tell uh, there's a lot of good documentation there on the commerce uh, section yeah and they, i mean they they recently changed it from docs to learn uh which broke my 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 bookmarks but yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have to think
1: about it. <laughs> you're yeah, right yeah. yeah but you're right and and but then it it can again become that that whole forest for the trees situation where you 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 yeah. where 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 are you where are you going to f- go to find that specific material you're looking for and i i've uh uh no, I'm, I'm not going to be embarrassed by uh, admitting this, but I, I basically have a Google search ready for myself so I can Google the internal docs uh, material. Yeah, I have a bookmark I use uh, to do that. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's cool. I mean, you, me and Yuan are pretty much experts now, like preparing all the material for each of our podcasts going through. So we know all the kings that, okay, I don't. if it's not listed in the menu page, I can just change the URL and then I'll find it anyway. So you can just <laughs> le- learn how to use it. Um, yeah. But I have another, I think the, the integration or the uh, communication part is very interesting as well. I had a really like detailed question uh, for commerce uh, a couple of years back when it was still on Docs. Uh, it was it was not listed. Windows 10 IoT was not listed as a supported mm-hmm. device for Empos, I think it was. And it was really cumbersome to kind of, I, I spoke to official people. I spoke to like the salespeople. Can someone just tell me if it's supported or not? Because they're going to buy like 600 licenses of these. And I couldn't get an answer. But then I went to the comments page on the, on the docs page then and wrote it there like a last effort. Took one hour, and I got a reply. Oh, sorry, we missed it. Now it's updated. So it was super simple. Just just having that access to bridging the actual people, um, right? The, the people who know. It's pretty simple because I know you guys want to answer. It's just a question of how how can I in an easy way uh, inform? Uh, so I don't have to send like one thousand mails. That's uh, I think that's the tricky part for you guys to. How to not be overwhelmed with all the questions? yeah, right?
1: and that's actually a very good example of uh, creating a, a highly scalable uh, hugely impact change. Um, and making those changes mm. to the, the the learn docs material is is an easy uh, low hanging thing for us. I mean it's I'm just a one pull request away uh, and then having some things perhaps having something needed to vet it, and then a few days later it's it's out there so it's it's an easy thing for us yeah. architects to do.
0: Yep. That's and, very cool. And yeah. I would I would like to get back to, to what we discussed around round performance. And I think also that I think one of the main differences why why we are having some of these should we call them misunderstanding is also because if you if you look at how the product used to work in AX twenty twelve, you you guys shipped it and then it went out to customers and then it lived on customers hardware, which meant that customers fixed the issue. Now we have a, a, a product that lives in the cloud, which is licensed by only by users and nothing else. So you only pay per user, which means that get, having Microsoft getting most bang for the buck at every single time is a very interesting driver because that means that all of the performance issues that you send to Microsoft, if they are Microsoft's performance issues, they are extremely interested in fixing them. Because every performance issue that that you guys are experiencing is CPU cycles that you are paying for, but that doesn't deliver customer performance, Mm. which is useless.
1: Yeah, I I typically coin it like this uh, when asked. Um, you can take a perfectly vanilla, no customizations uh, FNO environment and configure it into poor performance. Uh, and that tells you something about the level of configuration options you have in the product itself. And then if you think about the fact that almost no implementation out there is purely vanilla. Like there's there's always, typically always some customization. And it's not the number of customizations that are interesting. It only takes one uh, customization yep. uh, yes. at some place, and then that creates a performance challenge that impacts the whole business. I think, and, and I'm gonna say this a little bit, I think from experience, uh, being that I came from the partner channel, that we've been uh, in the past lucky to have some of our inherent performance issues hidden by the fact that uh, the customer didn't care that they have over-allocated their environments uh, on-prem. And uh, when you lift and shift that kind of code to the cloud and it creates deadlocks and unnecessary code execution, you are getting choked, basically. So instead of us throwing hardware on it to have... More AOSs run on a five percent, twenty percent, whatever it is CPU cycle is not going to solve the problem. It's just over overallocating uh, capacity, mm-hmm. and then you have to go back and revisit the code. And I've seen so many examples of code where it does things like a select for update where it's not really necessary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it begs the question: why, why hasn't why hasn't this been um, addressed before? It yes. was yeah. it was working yes. fine before.
0: Because, yeah, and also and also I think that if, <laughs> if if I if I should be blunt here, it wasn't Microsoft's problem mm. because the problem ended up at the customers, mm. and so so they had to they had to live with the issues, which meant that they they threw more hardware at the problem. I mean, moving the the servers to something with a lot of SSD drives, a lot of memory. Uh, I mean, SQL servers with with uh, terabytes worth of RAM just to be able to cache the database but I mean the the problem is that since since you were never Hosting it, you didn't have to fix these minor things that ended up giving the customer a lot of performance issues
1: right, and sometimes we can't fix it because it's in their no. it's in their meta information it's in their customizations and, and exactly
0: would... and 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 some of the times you don't even know that it is an issue because they don't bother reporting it back to to Microsoft because they figure that performance issues is our problem mm. and not your problem yeah. so Or in the way we use it. I mean, I was in one implementation that had
2: 3,000 legal entities, so the the upgrade part became broken because it had to generate so many jobs for each of these legal entities. So that's kind of something that you might not think about. And it's not fixable by code. You just have to find a way to, like, okay, uh, pause business for a week so we can run our upgrade jobs. In the end, that was how it was pretty much resolved. So uh, I I would guess that you guys have a lot of metrics to go through here. And uh, that would be like challenging to tackle. Okay, it goes slow here, but it goes fast here. What's the difference, right? What's the uh, is it configuration or is it data or is it pattern? Yeah,
1: I mean, so uh, we're definitely doing a ton of stuff to attack performance issues in a production environment. So when things happen in production that is out of the ordinary, there are red lights lit up and we might proactively jump on it and try to troubleshoot and and it could be something related to a database problem where we go in and, and do some tuning on our own but at the end of the day i don't think customers wants to have this happen in production uh to begin with so that whole thing about doing performance testing i know there's a really nice article created by christopher Lim. uh he put it on the community side uh, where he talks about the necessity of doing performance testing. I, um, I think there's a few, uh, maybe perhaps not a few, but several examples where that whole exercise is going to miss and they basically end up having the performance challenges challenges in production uh, instead of catching it up front in a pre-production environment. Hmm. And to that point... Um, I think it's fair to call out that we do have um, sandbox environments for FNO that are meant for performance testing. And we actually, there's a difference. Uh, Maybe not everybody's aware of that, but the the acceptance test environment and the performance test environment, there are slightly differences between them. We actually use the same kind of underlying CPU for the performance tiering today. So you'll get something that is just as quick as the production environment. Uh, that's a guarantee, and then uh, mm-hmm. we also do more stuff on the performance steering in terms of a- attacking performance challenges on them. So, um, so I think that's worth the call out.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a very good point. And I think the, the complexity comes from a lot of like implementations that if you don't address this early on, as I would imagine, as this is success by design as well. There's a cost attached to it as well for for the client side, right? Um, so the earlier you address this and, and like make people aware that the cost for not doing it, most in most cases, outweighs, right? Um, but you have to build your case around it and you have to instruct because the most common question I get about performance is why? But isn't this on Microsoft side to to fix? Yeah, sure. So you have to get, get into that conversation with the customer and make them understand. It's easier now. It was more of a challenge back in the X7 days, the whole shift to cloud, as you described as well. Earlier, you just, like you said, you were... You installed it, and then you pretty much never heard from Microsoft unless you got into an issue with like Premiere flying in and fixing stuff. But otherwise, Microsoft pretty much were out of the picture, right? Now it's a whole different ballgame. You have to be aware that Microsoft is a central player and should be as well. And and the, the more. Information you guys get based on my experiences, at least the more you get feedback you get back as well. So it's a give and take situation. But that mind shift and mental mental mindset that you have to have, you might have your consulting partner and you might have your your um, like infra expert, cloud experts, sure, but you still have Microsoft running your production environment. So you have to kind of know that they exist mm. and uh, how to communicate with
0: them um, at the very least. If if I were to wish one thing when it comes to performance testing it would actually be that you could be able to buy the performance environments at the per hourly cost mm-hmm. so that you could turn them off. Because yeah. I think the problem is today is that since you you buy the performance environments for a month at a time and they are not cheap by any mm-hmm. means, they are really, really expensive. And I, I totally understand why they are expensive, but mm-hmm. I think that you could probably raise the prices by ten percent of the performance environment, but having customers pay by the day or by the hour, and I would I would bet that at least a hundred percent more customers would do <laughs> thorough performance testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the I mean I think the big problem is is the cost. And, and I mean, I, I know that, for instance, uh, the, the fast track uh, architect that we are, are talking to in a project that we are right now has actually, because one of the first thing, things we were told was that you can't do performance testing in, in production ever not even before you go live but i know that fast track has actually eased up a bit on that so that if you if you have gotten your performance environment it's actually okay to do performance testing in your production environment before you go live and start putting production into mm. it and and i would say making it easier for customers to be able to to do performance testing would i i think would help them a lot yeah so uh, it's it, it, this is a it's
1: a massive topic because uh, <laughs> uh, I think you you no no but you're right that doing some sort of performance testing in production I would argue is fair but I think there's it's also fair to have a prelude uh, before that because mm-hmm. the performance testing in production what it does is it gives that final conf- confidence with the implementation team or and the customer that we have something that we we know is going to be successful when we go live. But the prelude of that is as doing some uh, due diligence in a pre-production environment, and what you get in a pre-production environment is um, you able you'll be able to jet into the the database itself, and you can actually analyze the query plans yourself without having to reach out to Microsoft for that. Um, and uh, it also you also avoid running something in a production environment that triggers us to jump on it. If you think about us having yep, people yep. who see uh, internal tickets created uh, to engineers and they see that it's a production environment, they might jump on it. They have no idea you're actually testing because they'll see something happen. And so I think that's also in part the point of not running something in production that comes as a surprise to you that you're deadlocking everything or right
0: (laughs) yeah and I I totally agree Mm. but that brings home my point even more that making it easier to do thorough performance testing because the problem also Mm. is that once you have started up the performance environment you will spend at least a couple of days prepping Mm. it to be production like which means that you lose a couple of days of performance testing and then you do testing and then Everything is set up and done. Maybe it takes like a week for testing, and then you still need to pay for it an extra uh, three weeks or so. So having it being, having it keeping it and being able to turn it off mm. when you're not using it, I as I said, I I think you could probably charge more for it per per day than you're doing today. Yeah. But having it stay there and be turned off and not be and be disabled. I mean, having it. I I, I understand yeah. that it's it's probably not the cost, right? And it's
2: also, I mean, a lot of people go live now with MVP approaches. So using that that the whole production, like first go live scenarios, that's one thing, of course, not to be under. But you also have a lot of scenarios where you you have a running production environment. You're implementing a new scenario or acquiring a new company. You need to get some kind of figures mm. out, right? So even more important to have some way of doing that without preparations for a week. So we're not going to solve it today. (laughs) But uh, that's that's my uh, Christmas week. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've heard various suggestions on
1: how to attack that whole, let's say, uh, licensing of that environment. Because I I can totally understand that purchasing a tier 5 for 12 months, if you only need it for a short period of time, it seems excessive. Um, But to that point, I think it's also worth calling out that you would typically have multiple iterations of performance tests. Uh, you would you would run at least one to just uh, test test the boundaries, sort of like checking out what, what happens when you run it. And then you would analyze the results, and then you would revert back and perhaps make some adjustments based on that testing. So not just testing to see that it seems to be processing the necessary volume and done with it, but you should also... See if there's any room for op- for uh, or any opportunities for improvements of performance. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, but that's sort of my point as well. That you you it's it's the the effective time that you're actually performance testing mm. is not that long. So having a different payment model would probably be a good thing. And and because I th- I think unfortunately a lot of customers today avoid performance testing entirely because it's it's. I mean, it's it's not, it and it's hard. It I mean, it's hard building performance scenarios and doing. Uh, re, re, uh, I mean, okay, testing yeah. that's, that's and reliable testing yeah. is is tricky,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, that's always going to yeah. be the case. Yeah, yeah. it's hard, but um, yeah, we'll have to have a separate performance testing 101. Yeah, it's always comes back, but it's it's hard. Like, why do we want to do it? Everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to have this nice like forty-page document saying, uh, okay, yeah. We run through the tests; it's fine, yeah, because then you yeah. sleep better yeah. Right, yeah. before go live. But still, going back to the original topic, I think having performance mindset as well—that's the best. That's the least we can do right yep. now, yep. right? I mean, design yeah. to fit what the system is designed to do. Uh, then that way you you, know, you avoid at least a million performance issues, mm. right? Um, but then at the very end, it's it's a safety measure. If as long as much as we can use it, and then you can you could do like you like you must says if you can do it um coordinated testing planned effi- efficiently and you could pay for that and in, in a more easy manner that would be great um, until we get that
0: we'll have to rely on on design right yeah and 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 with that being said that everything eventually ends with performance testing I think that even <laughs> this podcast ends with performance testing so well, uh, I would really like to thank you, Tommy, for, for joining us today. It's been me a too. real fun discussion, and I think we could have probably continued an hour more <laughs> <laughs> because I think it was really, really fun. So thanks a lot. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. Thank I, you I, I you. think I warned you that I could I could keep on rambling for a very long time if you left me. So, uh, <laughs> But thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, thanks a thank lot. You. It was great. And to listeners, uh, thank you for this time, and uh, see you back in in a moment. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.